Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Prince, also known as Head Knights, alongside me. We got David. Greetings. Greetings, Earthlings. Also <laughs> known as Nightly. Other than there, we got Freddy. Always giving that spoopy. Always and forever. Also known as Nighty Night. This is our last time that we're going to be recording online for Woo-hoo. a little bit, and I'm so fucking excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. But we are still a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they would. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to this show ad-free and as early as Monday with the post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, brand new month. Last month was amazing. Back in black. That was fantastic. But now we, we get a little uh a little conjury, if you will. A little a little uh crones, if you will. We're about to talk about some witches because I am so excited to jump into this. This is Spring Equinox, which is celebrated heavily for the Wicca community. So shout out to our Wicca community. That's really pretty fucking cool. I only knew one person who was actually a practicing member of Wicca. Crystal? Yeah, yeah, Crystal. Yeah, Shout out to Crystal. Super dope. Um, And I just... I. I haven't met anyone since, but she was very open about it, and it was really cool and fascinating to hear her talk about Wicca. So, shout out to the Wicca community, because uh, they're doing some cool shit. <laughs> shout out. Shout out. But this particular month, where we're going to be talking about witches, of course, as we do, so excited to jump into this month, because a lot of films that have been requested from us uh, quite frequently is on this list this time around. So I'm actually pretty excited, but the movie that we are going to be talking about tonight, everyone is the Lords of Salem. First and foremost thoughts. This is both you guys' first time, right? You want to go first or should I go first? You may take the reins, my friend. Oh, so much. It's hard. Um, and it I is wanted my to first like this time. movie. I did not like this movie. That's oh. okay. That's okay. That is okay. This was probably okay. the first one where it's like it was kind of a hard watch for me to finish this movie. To be completely honest, is there why? Some, why was it hard? Uh, it's just not my type of movie. I I, I like a lot of movies. Obviously, uh, I think this one was just not for me itself. I don't like mm-hmm. how it was presented or maybe even directed with Rob Zombie being a very um, He's a controversial favorite. director. Yeah, I feel like people either love him or hate him. Um, that's, and a lot of people him. who <laughs> love him love this movie. And I know there's a lot of love for this movie. Um, and I don't think it's a bad movie. It just wasn't my cup of tea. Uh, there's sure. a lot of like visuals in here where I'm like, eh, that's really something I don't want to look at. Um, there's also a lot of stuff where I was like, you're just doing this for shock factor and I don't really care for it. And there was like moments where the tension was never really there for me. It's just like stuff just happened. Yeah. Where like I never really felt scared watching this movie. 
more so on the, the disturbed side, sure. But I was never really I, I didn't feel like I was watching like a scary movie. Out. Yeah. yeah. And I think one other reviewer said like, Oh yeah, this movie reminds me of like a weird gothic music video. And I'm like, Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's I mean genre. It's Rob Zombie who <laughs> yeah, so White like, Zombies is banned, so yeah. <laughs> he even has a song of the same name that came out like prior to this. Right. And I was gonna watch the music video, but I'm like, oh, I'm good, I'm done. That <laughs> but, was fair. It, yeah, this movie does have some good stuff in it, and we'll talk about it when we're talking about like the the layout of the movie. Uh, there's some cool shots as well. Um, yeah, it just wasn't for me. Yeah, that's fair. No worries. Wow, Freddie, I wish I had gone first because it, you, we're on the same page, brother. Like <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this, uh, I because when you said. This movie wasn't my cup of tea. I was like, wow, that's how I was going to open. Right. <laughs> um, this movie isn't my cup of tea, but I don't necessarily think it's a bad movie at all. Right. Uh, just not for me, like you said. Um, yeah. I think it has the uh, most gnarly portrayal of witches I've seen. Like, I was scared of these witches, and I feel like that's complicated to pull off in a lot of yeah. horror. Where, you know, people are so used to witches, they're introduced to uh, of witches. At a younger age, right? Because Halloween or whatever horror right. for kids as well—that's uh, very accessible. But man, these witches of Salem—they were scary. Um, There's, th- I-, I thought they were scary. I- yeah, I they were cross paths with them. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting, Freddie. You uh, had used the description of um, this feeling like a like a metal music video, and I saw that very much towards the end and. Uh, when he said that, I'm like, whoa, that totally makes sense because I I had trouble kind of describing, like I saw what they were going for. Uh, what came to mind was like a an art house film or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, like gothic music video is the a better way to describe <laughs> it. Uh, yeah. Because I'm like, I know what they're doing. I know what they're trying yeah. to do. Um, and I appreciate it. It's just, you know, it's not doing it for me right now. Right. Um I think there's a lot of great um, shots throughout this, especially when you emphasize on like symmetrical shots. Um, yeah, the cinematography really shines there and it has impact, um, especially when it's like um, usually like a wide lens. Um, and I think the use of architecture uh, to create these grand moments are really great. Yeah. Um, this movie definitely I, felt like a lot bigger than it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, there were some moments where I'm like, these are some cool ideas, but I want them to kind of go further or Yeah, the execution wasn't there for you. Yeah. Well, I but, like um, what you said. Like you said it's like an art house film. And I felt like this was very much like an art house film with a simple story premise. So it was not really warranted to be there as so artsy yeah. as it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I was like it, it's, okay. It feels like it. It feels like it thinks that its stories or its story is a lot more layered than it may seem to be, and I'm not saying that yeah. to be like a diss at all. But um, right. um Ooh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, it could either be uh, a very surface level story, or it could be a deeper story if you if you want it to be, which I think that's a compliment in itself. But yeah, I didn't think it was a bad movie, just not my cup of tea. Uh, and also, yeah, a little, I've, I've become more sensitive to like. The gore factor, uh, where I'm like, 
that baby got 10 legs. I'm just kidding. But, yeah. <laughs> Why but, that uh, baby yeah. got so many legs? <laughs> Why that baby got so many legs, doc? Um, that all fair points. Uh, I'm 100% the minority in this group because I love this movie. I think this movie is absolutely fantastic. Um, and I, I honestly think it is Rob Zombie's best film because I, personally don't like Rob Zombie. I actually don't like any of Rob Zombie's movies except for this one. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the Halloween reboot that he did. Um, I thought it was super dark. Um, not the biggest fan of House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh, the Devil's Rejects is just okay to me. Um, and yeah, this is the only one that truly speaks to me. I personally just think it's it's different from everything else he's produced and it's so it's so intriguing to me to see this film um and to even think about it in a way that like oh this came from Rob Zombie like that that's odd like you wouldn't know this was a Rob Zombie movie if it weren't for Sherry Moon Zombie his wife being in the movie yeah, yeah. um but like like I can 100% see why people do not like this movie though. Like I, and, and that's okay. Like it, 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 there's nothing wrong with disliking this movie, but I personally am just like, meh, you know, like I, I don't, I, maybe that's why I like this movie. Cause I've always go into this movie with super low expectations because it's Rob Zombie for me. Um, and I don't like Rob <laughs> Zombie. So that's just me. But, I do enjoy this movie and I enjoy how ambitious he was with this movie. And I agree. I really like that he, he just kind of pushed the budget as far as he possibly could, um, for what he had, because I, I know he mentioned that if he could have, uh, he would have wanted to place this movie in the seventies, but the budget wasn't big enough for him to do that. He wasn't able to do that. Um, and that's just, I think that could have. I, sorry to interrupt. I think okay. that could have totally benefit like the entire oh, vibe of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. Oh, by the way, David, your your mic got cut off like as soon as you started like saying something at the end there. Just a little heads up. Sorry about that. Nope, you're good. Did you want to finish your thought? I think oh, you, I think no, your thought was I, finished yeah, when you said I it. But like, thought, I'm just, yeah. I, all right. <laughs> yeah. I just want to, I just want to make sure. Um, but yeah, the, the, he was. I, I, I've re- I've seen in an interview that he wished that the budget was larger, that he could have gotten a larger studio budget. So he could place this film in the 70s because House of a Thousand Corpses is placed in the 70s. Uh, the Devil's Rejects is placed in the 70s. I think Three from Hell is supposed to be like the late 70s. Um, so like he, and same thing goes for Halloween. Like he, he loved doing Halloween because he got to play in the 70s. So it was it, pretty much most of his films are all set in the 70s except for this one. So like it, it's interesting to kind of see how he wants to kind of move things, but now he has uh, the keys to the monsters. And I'm intrigued to see how that goes because I, I honestly don't know. Um, but I don't know. I like this movie. I, I, I very much enjoy this movie a lot and I definitely uh, could watch it again. Um, this was maybe my third time seeing it. And no, that, that's a lie. Maybe my second. This might be my second time watching this movie because prior There's to that, some cool I've, ideas. Yeah, There's yeah, some yeah. Cool ideas in it for sure. I remember not liking this movie though. I remember oh, really? when I first watched it, I did not like this movie, which is why uh, this was my second time watching it. Um, and then I, the more and more I thought about it, and what maybe actually put it on this list was his interview on history of horror with Eli Roth, and um, 
his specific segment that he said is that he particularly likes the ending of his film mainly because it just goes completely bad shit like how we said um mm-hmm. but with it going so bad shit like he said that he tried emulating uh, a ken russell movie which ken russell makes most of his films are from the 70s um he was trying to kind of emulate that and i assume he was trying to emulate the devils from 1971 i think that is but um i don't know all in all i enjoy this movie Take it for what you want with that. Uh, but let's break this shit down because I'm excited to jump into it. <gasps> the Lords of Salem, directed by Rob Zombie, released April 26th of 2013 with a runtime of one hour and 41 minutes and a budget of $1.5 million with a box office of $1.5 million and a rating oh, wow. of 47% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like I said, I could see that. I understand this movie is not going to be for a lot of people. And that's that's okay. That is okay. I, I mean, I'm just surprised uh, surprised of the dollar reportings. It's a perfect break even. Perfect break even. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I did not watch this in theaters. I really kind of wish I did because <laughs> I feel like that would just been a whole different experience. Um, but hey, we open to our protagonist? Question mark. Heidi LaRock, also known as Heidi Hawthorne, zoning out in a car as the radio plays. And the sound design right off the bat for me personally is out of this world. Like, I think the sound design is absolutely incredible in this movie. Yeah, I like how this movie starts and how it ends. And I'm talking about like Mm -hmm. the opening sequence and then like the credit sequence, which we'll talk about later on, where we have like this like voiceover slash like radio stuff. Yeah. I feel like, like you said, totally Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. How it goes kind of in and out of the opening sequence of like yeah. the credits and the actual movie itself. I was like, cool, that's a good intro. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie though, this movie definitely does make me want to go to Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, I just and want I, to go. Yeah. I, I would love to go to Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah. I mean, we should go to Salem, Massachusetts, because Kay Lynch, uh, she has her um Salem Horror Fest. Oh, and yeah. we totally should do that. And she usually has it around like Halloween and shit. So that's the time to go. That's the time I want to go for my first time. Halloween. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that has to like be it, right? It has to be, yeah. <laughs> Get to a goat to buy a crackling fire, transitioning to a man writing, reading as he does so. Quote, as I write these very words, the witch Margaret Morgan gathers with her coven of six deep within the woods surrounding our beloved Salem. The blasphemous music echoes in my mind, driving me to the point of insanity. I, Jonathan Hawthorne. <laughs> swear before the eyes of God on this day in the, of the year of our Lord, 1696, to destroy all persons which choose to pledge allegiance to the demon Satan and his spectral army. End quote. Fade to Margaret, a disheveled woman with a marking on her hand, concluding Jonathan's words with, quote, in the name of Satan, ruler of the earth, the king of the world. End quote. I, Y'all know who Margaret is? I do not know no. who Margaret is. So her name is Meg Foster. Who who was with me on the episode with Leviathan? I don't think both of y'all were. Leviathan? Leviathan. Yeah. 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 I think Freddie was. Was it yeah. you, Freddie? Okay. It was it was the super eighties. It was a reminded oh, yeah, us yeah, of yeah. Alien. Basically, yeah. 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 So yeah. so Meg Foster was the crazy blue eyed lady who was like in high power or whatever who was telling them to stay there yeah okay interesting uh so yeah that's her <laughs> uh, great touch having her in this movie um 
a lot of just like natural nudity in this movie too. You know? There is. It's just like, you know, fuck it. I sleep naked. This is how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> she commands to open the gates of hell, wanting him to come forth. The rest of the coven chant as they hail Satan. They all swear to him, wishing away their hatred for Christianity. Margaret commands them to ready themselves to desecrate their false bodies and for them to show themselves. They rip off their clothing, maniacally laughing, wailing and screaming. She tells them, quote unquote, all together as they chant their des- desecrations, laughing, hugging and dancing around the pit of burning fire. Title card to the next uh, to uh, next to the goat, excuse me. And then Monday. Back in the present day in Salem, Massachusetts, Heidi is asleep naked in her bed, startled awake from the alarm clock radio playing. Shout out to her like side tables though. Her side yeah, tables like are blowing like light. Yeah. yeah what? So cool. That was so fucking cool to me. Actually, her whole apartment was really cool to me. Like I have astigmatism, so it would really bother me. That's fair. <laughs> like I probably would definitely have it off when I <laughs> when I'm not in bed uh, or when I'm in bed. But yeah, like I I thought they were super neat. Um, she turns it down before putting on her glasses and slowly puts on some clothes. She greets her dog, and I think her dog's name was to- Toby. I didn't write it down. I think it was. Toby. I think so. Um, uh, she hears her dog commanding him to go into the kitchen as she sluggishly goes into the bathroom moaning and groaning at herself in the mirror before using the toilet Heidi grabs the paper in the, um, in the hallway spotting a silhouette of a nude woman uh, that resembles Margaret down the hall she wonders if the woman is the new tenant mentioning that she lives in number two the woman slams her door Heidi shrugs it off before heading back inside her unit Heidi takes her pills while reading through the newspaper and listening to, uh, to the news the landlord Lacey is checking her mail gre- uh, greeting Greeted by Heidi coming down the stairs with her dog, joking about Lacey um, renting out apartment five, but she hasn't rented it out. Heidi comments that she just saw, saw the tenant 10 minutes ago. Lacey uh, reiterates that there isn't anyone inside there, but Heidi is sure that she saw someone standing in the doorway sharing her experience. Mm-hmm. Lacey comments that she will check, she will check it out before uh, giving Heidi's dog some snuggles and kisses. I don't blame her. That dog was cute as fuck. Um, <laughs> Heidi says her goodbyes as she takes her dog out for a walk. Okay, this whole first, like, five minutes of this movie. At this point, I'm in. Okay. So, like, yeah. right off the bat, like, we're we're getting, we're, like, creaked with mystery. You know, like, it, right. it feels like a ghost story. Um, but deep inside the weeds of this movie, it is a feministic brutal revenge story right like Mm -hmm. this movie is definitely like kind of just like men suck (laughs) like i I mean and and like it's it's interesting because we only have technically uh one one person physically dying in front of us besides the witches but that like that's pretty much this movie is that men suck and like I, I like that's that to me that's what I'm getting out of the metaphor of this movie. But while doing so, Lacey goes upstairs checking on apartment five's door. Heidi walks into the night before we uh before we meet with some spiraling psychedelic shit for Heidi's radio station. WIQZ. They go through their host, Herman Whitey Salvador, and, and Herman Jackson, and also Heidi. Um, cutting to them listening to, listening and watching a music video for a super heavy metal band. Um, this was so intense. 
so intense, but so up my alley. I was just like, okay, I dig it. Why not? <laughs> kind of runs with ghost. Sure. <laughs> Heidi jokes that she thinks uh, she is starting to like it. Salvador chiming in about his mom losing her virginity to that song. All while they're talking about this in front of the vocalist. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Admittedly, this movie is kind of funny. Like it, it's it's a very humorous movie. Um, because I like how Count Gorgon was just like, "What the fuck." <laughs> These fucking assholes. <laughs> it's funny that you brought that up because I do think a lot of the dialogue is comedic. Yeah. At a certain point, it like switched for me where it's like it went from com- comedy to like annoying, sadly. And I was like, oh, they're just continued to do like the same jokes over and over again. Or like there's like weird sounds that come out of this movie where I'm just like, I, I don't want to hear it. Like yeah. it felt like when they were listening to the song, which we'll talk about. Like the movie was that for me was like, oh, there's something disturbing about this, which I just don't <laughs> like, <laughs> which I feel bad saying because, you know, I don't want to like shit on this movie at all because I actually really like the scene too. And I like the dialogue the the guest says next. And that mm-hmm. is very creepy and very scary. So I was like, cool. At this point, I'm still in with the movie. Right. Yeah. No, I could, I, I, I see where the gripes are for sure. Like by any means, this movie is like not perfect. You know, so like I, I definitely understand that, um, but no, I, I completely understand what you're yeah. what you're saying on this it as is well. Super um, creative. I love the mind of Rob Zombie and what he was able to do with this movie. I do appreciate that. Where yeah, had, no, I agree. Like he had a lot of creative freedom on this, which is awesome to see with a director. Surprisingly enough, he usually has a lot of creative freedom for most of his movies, which yeah, is also surprising. But there. this is a Blumhouse movie, so yeah. this movie is from Blumhouse. So like, I mean. Being from Blumhouse, Jason Blum was probably just like, "Fuck it, dude, whatever you want, man. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you want you want witches and fucking creepy spider shit? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you want you want to pull someone's spleen out? Go for it. I don't care. <laughs> All in front of the vocalist, um, Jackson introducing the lead vocalist, Count Gorgon. He's like Count Gorgon. They continue joking in front of Gorgon, um, who is definitely not impressed. Jackson asks uh, for him to explain his philosophy about his music and. I'm with you, Freddie. Like, I don't like what the sound bites and things like that, like with the moaning and all that whole other stuff. Yeah. And like, I, it's, it's just, it's cheesy. And I, I wasn't a fan of that either. In a very deep German accent that sounded very fake, he shares his philosophy, um, is to expose the lies of Jesus, calling, calling him the true bringer of death. They are all, they all burst into laughter as he continues that they aren't crying sheep of God, commenting that they are, they are the goat. <laughs> Heidi hilariously asks, why a goat, not a pig? And, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of thinking about it. Like, like, why is there a goat? And I kind of wanted to go on a little search. <laughs> Salvador continues joking about Gorgon. Um, Gorgon ignores them as he continues spouting that God must die. And it, and he is the unholy pig, them serving as the butcher. What a fucking great line, though. So good. Like, that is yeah. such a great line. <laughs> really good delivery, too. Yeah. Like, he genuinely, I was like, in that moment, like, okay, get out of my studio. Like, <laughs> like you're, you're, you're creepy, dude. Guts of them, minus Gorgon, all dancing, joking around and shit until um, their shift is over, sharing a drink before leaving out of the studio. The receptionist shares that Heidi has a package. She opens a rickety old box with the sigil that uh, Margaret had on her head. Salvador calls it fancy, asking her who's it from. She doesn't know, reading it, reading that it is from the band. Uh, 
a band called the Lords. Jackson comments that uh, it is is probably just shit. Heidi calls him negative, and just for that, she's going to go ahead and listen to it at home. High-fiving the the receptionist, uh, (laughs) then handing the box over to Salvador. Outside, Heidi uh, lights Jackson a cigarette. He asks if they if they will like a ride. She complains that he uh, she complains that her head is spinning from the tequila, and she thinks that she might puke if she gets inside of a car. You know, well, real quick, shout out to fucking Kid Ferret, by the way. Like, I love him. He's always in uh, Rob Zombie films, um, but he was also in uh, I want to say it was Dawn of the Dead in like the nineteen eighties, um, and. Yeah. Fucking shout out to him, dude. Kim Ferrey to me is just like I, I, I really, really enjoy him, and it, and it's kind of nice to kind of have a little bit of little black representation up in here, even though he's a token black guy. It's still kind of nice. <laughs> he mocks her to enjoy the walk. South um, Salvador tells her to hop on his handlebars. She definitely doesn't trust him with that. I don't blame her. <laughs> that dude's a goofball. They say that they're joking goodbyes to Jackson as Salvador walks her walks her back to her place. They're they are inside Heidi's place. She. Uh, she's making something to eat in a pot while Salvador cues up a, a, a vinyl. You know, at first I was just like, she making sludge, like sludgy soup. She made fucking pancakes. Who makes pancakes oh, in a pot? pot? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, maybe, maybe you don't have a bowl and you're mixing in, in like you're mixing in that pot. I don't know. But she was making pancakes. And I was like, goddamn pancakes. <laughs> Oh man. The music plays as he dances around. She watches him and he stops laughing, asking asking her if it if it's obvious. She winks her eyes and shrugs her shoulders before starting to dance. The music muffled as we pan away from apartment five. They're chill they're chilling while eating pancakes, talking about Jackson. There you go. There's fuck pancakes, Aiden. Um <laughs> She yawns, commenting about the music no longer playing. I feel like at this point. The whole concept of her yawning and, and things like that. Like, I feel like at this point, she's just like, like, yo, leave. This is like your cue. Like, you should not mm-hmm. be here anymore, Salvador. Yeah. Like, come on. I think they called him Whitey in the movie. They but do. Yeah. They do? Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, he asks about the vinyl uh, that she just received. She tiredly allows him to do it um, or to play it. Uh, he places the vinyl, scratching the record, thinking that it's messed up. Uh, he... Uh, he tries it again with the same result. Heidi gets up wondering what he's doing, moving the needle for him. The music's starting to play. And this is actually interesting right here of why they had something quite like this. Um, it, it Because of the fact that Rob Zombie wanted this movie to be set in the 70s, um, where radio stations would actually use like record players and shit. And like now, like they would never do that, right? Like, I mean, it's queued up on a computer click on that whatever and in this interview that rob zombie was chatting about this movie with um he mentioned that like he chose it to be a record player because he wanted it to be kind of like a a haunted object story in a way and uh i thought that was fascinating and i thought that actually worked for what he was trying to do for this particular concept in my opinion yeah i agree with you because the presentation of like the vinyl itself in the box looks very menacing already like it looks like yeah. something you shouldn't play it looks something that's very old and relicky and <laughs> low-key demonic it has a symbol in the dead center which just right. looks fucked up and now it's playing weird sounds but this like this entire part i was like i'm still in this is yeah. like pretty solid fair enough 
What about you, David? Are you in or out? At this point. Right now I'm i I'm still curious to see what's gonna go down. I yeah. usually it usually takes me a while to to get in unless something big happens in the beginning. Right. That's fair. Salvador thinks the music sounds fucked up, but Heidi uh, becomes in a trance. And the music is so weird. And it's like that kind of rumbling and it sounds like video game music that is like a modern video game. So like this sounds like some shit that would be like God of War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He asks if she's okay, but she doesn't answer him. With her eyes closed, Margaret begins to speak. Quote, breathe this new world with a blessed spawn of your glory. End quote. Heidi grabs the back of her head. Quick cut to Margaret licking her fingers. The rest of the coven grabbing a woman by the face. Margaret stabbing the pregnant woman in the stomach and ripping out the ripping out her baby. She speaks in tongues before licking the blood and filth off the baby, spitting on the baby sharply, commenting that it tastes vile and sickens her. She demands for them to remove this mortal, hideous creature. Quote unquote, <laughs> commenting that they have failed before continuously spitting on the baby. God damn. Yeah, this moment I was Yeah, I was like, oh, this is gonna be one of those movies. Yeah. 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 You said this is where it lost you? Yeah. I was like, this is the stuff that I don't like to see. Right. Like, don't abuse a baby. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, no, of course. Oh, obviously like, it's a horror film, so I was like, but this is the kind yeah. of stuff where it's like, all right, like uh this where like hostile kind of gets to me as well, where it's like that's not a movie for me as well, but it's like brutality towards like children and um, I don't know the spitting got me I was like I was very disturbed by it. I was like I don't like this oh anymore. the spitting I was like yeah. you've never licked a baby no I'm just kidding I forgot I forgot about this but spitting, it's but, so um, aggressive she does like multiple yeah. times I'm like, um, okay, yeah, do it once I'll let it pass do it multiple it, times okay it's depicted that she's spinning in it in its face or their face. Um, right. But obviously you can't see the baby at yeah. this point. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, Freddie, because my reaction to this is I'm um, like, oh, this is this is the the aspect of horror where I feel like, oh, I can't hang with the big boys. Like this is where I'm like, I'm a little baby compared to everyone else. <laughs> You're the one getting spit on. Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm the one getting like, this movie got me. <laughs> I actually find this to be extremely important because it just shows you what they will do to get their lord back. Yes, right. yes. Like, and I, I find this to be honestly what this reminded me of. This re- reminded me of what you said, Freddie, on the Halloween episode of when Michael Myers' first kill was a kid. Like, yeah, th- this is what that reminded me of because of like it shows you that the depiction of them was just pure evil, and they only had one mission and one mission only, and. I get what you're saying. Yeah, like of course, yeah, the the subject matter in its in itself is very disturbing, but it's supposed to be, right? I mean, that that was yeah, Rob Zombie's I agree. point. But Don't get me wrong, I it totally was agree. It, it, it creates the line of what we're trying to achieve and setting the stage, right? Yeah, and showing how gnarly this is going to be, right. and how gnarly these witches are. And I think that's how I was able to open the show with, like, dude, these are the scariest depictions of uh, witches I've ever seen before, and that's tough. But like, this is a very good way to create that vibe of how people may have felt about how scary witches were back in history. Right. In, in America. Or just history. women. Right. Because that, that yeah. was, that was a thing like in the Salem witch trials, it was just assumed because these were women who, and a lot of them were kids as yeah. well that were killed. Like teenagers. Yeah. And, and some were even like children. I think the youngest person that died, I think was seven. 
Um, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So like it, it was fucked up of how these men were such, so afraid of these women. And, and, and I feel like that's, that's why I find this particular portion so important because of the fact that like, to me, this sets the whole stage of the movie, this whole scene right here. This, this is the whole setting. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you though. Like, yes, this is disturbing. Um, and yes, it is fucked up. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, but like, I think this is what truly sets the stage of what we see as their motivation to kind of continue forward. That's fair. Totally. Uh, Back with Sal, um, asking Heidi if she's okay. She mentions that she's suddenly got super tired and starts walking toward her room. He comments that that he needs to go since uh, he has a long ride home. She allows him to crash on her couch, but that's not uh, what he really wants to do. She reiterates, um, uh, she reiterates before heading into her room that he can stay there and it's fine. And he's just like, Oh, you're going to have me sleep on the couch? Yes, I'm going to have you sleep on the couch. This was my main thing that I didn't like is that they had this thing where he likes her and then at the end of the movie she likes him as well but she totally does not seem interested in the beginning yeah. of this movie. <laughs> That's yeah, one thing I felt, don't like. <laughs> it felt inconsistent. It felt like yeah. they needed to have some love struggle but it didn't really land its mark for me. Right. Yeah. They never no. really have a true connection until towards the very end of the movie. Right. And it was like yeah. and it was so uh, lame. That was so yeah. lame to me. It I, was I, very I did, lame, yeah. did not like that. Heidi finishes up some toast. Um I think it's toast. Oh. <laughs> uh then heads down the hall. <laughs> Margaret stand, standing muddy and naked in her bathroom. Heidi not taking notice. Tuesday. Heidi is listening to music as she walks down the street to her AA meeting. A man's VO, or I don't, I, I guess it's a, an, an anonymous meeting. It might be a DA meeting because I think she was a drug addict, not a alcoholic, if I'm not, if I remember correctly. Excuse me. Uh, a man VOs about his mom being a drug addict, uh, but it attracting him. Uh, uh, gosh, I lost my spot there. But it attracting him, and he knew that he would have to try it for himself. Him not knowing the person to le- him not being the person to learn from other people's mistakes. Heidi is inside the meeting, continuing to listen to the man with a group of other people. They all get up. Heidi thanking him. Cut to the radio station. The three joking around about uh, dairy and gluten. Whatever. Until Heidi <laughs> brings them back to speak with their guest, Francis Matthias. This motherfucker was interesting as shit. I wanted so much more of him in this movie. Uh, the author of Satan's Last Stand, The Truth About the Salem Witch Trials. She compliments his look on the back of the book, on the back of the cover of the book. He chuckles, thanking her. Salvador joking about her, t- uh, taking the book into the bathroom. Francis asks about her tattoo that's on her chest, calling it mesmerizing as he flirts with her on air. What? Uh, Salvador backing him down. Francis commenting about him, uh, about him having a wife, joking for her to not change the locks. Jackson asked him a, a real question about how many women were actually killed during the Salem witch trials. Francis approximates 25, including the accused women who died in prison. I did not look this up. Um, so I, I don't know how truthful this is, but now I am very curious. And this is something we can definitely save for the post show. Uh, but I wonder mainly specifically by the fact, cause I think what the Salem Witch Trials was what, 1690s? I think that sounds about right. Um, but let's see. Yep. 1692. 
Okay, was I was going to say, I know Fear Street takes place in 
hmm, I don't know. Yeah. Because um, I assume it's they speak to them through it. Because like Heidi gets all these fucking crazy imagery and stuff. She shares that it uh, it just appeared with nothing but a note for her. He's intrigued. Questioning the fact that it specifically came to her. She comments that it did very specifically. Her not knowing that anyone knew her real name. Fucking internet. Uh, he slightly <laughs> shrugs it off, decides to head home. He greets his wife, Alicia, asking her if she listened. Um, I wonder if I sounded just like her. I don't know. I felt like I you did. You did a know. really good job. <laughs> that was pretty solid. <laughs> I could be Sherry Moon. Uh, she <laughs> claims that she did, complimenting him and sharing that she uh, recorded it for him. He hates to hear his own voice. She jokes about, about having about having it to hear it every day. He asked if she uh, recorded the music. She did, not enjoying it, calling it noise. At this point, I forgot why she didn't become in a trance. And I was like, oh, does she not get a trance-like state thing? Like, Because uh, at this point, I was like, oh, it's all women, right? Like, if I remember correctly. Boy, was I wrong. Uh, she comments <laughs> that she's hungry and is going to reheat leftovers, asking if he wants any. But he he just does not like her cooking, I think. Because, like, all the time she's, like, making food, he's, like, completely just, like, oh, I'm all right, I'm, I got to go to the museum. <laughs> like, <laughs> she got, but he's he's going to re-listen to the music again, um, claiming that something about it upset him, especially the name, the Lords of Salem, wondering where he heard that before. Cut back to Heidi and Sal uh, coming out of the station, him asking if she really thinks that Francis is cute. She tells him not to be jealous, pushing him away toward his bike. Jackson comes out telling her to come uh, uh, to get some sleep because she looks exhausted. They all go their separate ways, Heidi practicing French as she heads back to her place. I don't know what the whole thing about the whole French shit was. But, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's not like the only time we see it. Like She, practi- she practices it while she's... Well, possessing or being possessed or something. I guess this is going to be a little bit more fun facts on my end because I recognized her artwork behind her bed with the moon with the missile in its eye. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that is the it's voyage to the voyage to the moon, uh, directed by George Melies. Yeah, which is a like nineteen oh two. Yeah, a classic. Yeah. Very classic. It's Twelve minutes long. Yeah. It's a great look. <laughs> yeah, it's actually really really good. And they actually color really? uh, colored it in each film. Uh, so, right. and it's one of those things was like, oh yeah, I'm a big fan of Hugo. I would not be on this podcast or doing anything movie related if it wasn't for the movie Hugo. So shout out it's to It's true. We wouldn't have hired him onto the <laughs> show if he didn't watch Hugo. Yeah. So that's been the dream <laughs> since 2011 when it came out. I think David's like, I've never seen Hugo and I'm on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. I okay, think. Okay. But no, yeah. So maybe she just has a French, like, I don't know. Love. Taste for the French cinema. I don't know. I guess. Back at her apartment building, Lacey stops her, waiting, uh, wanting Heidi to meet her sister or her sisters. Excuse me. Uh, she is about. She is about to make an. Ex- She's about to make an excuse, but decides to say hello uh, to to her two sisters, Megan and Sunny. Sunny is D Wallace, and that is awesome to me. Have you guys seen Cujo? I have not. Ah, oh, shit. On my list. Man, yeah, right. man. Watch Cujo because Cujo's great, first and foremost. But that's the mom in Cujo. And I thought that was so cool to oh, see her cool. in this. I was like, what the fuck? That's D. Wallace. Uh, she's also in E.T. She's also in The Howling. She's also in Critters. She's just a fucking horror goddess, my dude. Like, she legit <laughs> like has like the same resume as Barbara Crampton, damn near. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, she's fucking awesome. Um, but anyway, as I continue, <laughs> Sunny uh, wanting her to join them. Lacey also uh, wanting her as 
wanting her to as well. Heidi agrees, but she has to feed her dog first. They all claim that they'll wait. That was very creepy. Heidi goes to open her door, the light swinging back and forth in front of the room five. She doesn't notice, she doesn't notice going inside her apartment. She claps for her dog's attention, turning on the light in the kitchen, and a scary ass dirty nude Margaret is just either floating or standing on something, um, staring at her. Wow. She it still seemed, feeds her dog though. Yeah, she's floating. Yeah. It seemed life, lifeless, like almost like a doll. I was it, like really staring. It was like to a see. mannequin or something. Like she yeah. did not move. Yeah. She wasn't even like staring at her. She's just like staring out. Yeah, I, I would have loved some movement there. Yeah, well, uh, I would have loved some. I don't know. Actually, that it is pretty creepy to just not see a move though. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> it it kind of reminds me of um, fuck. What was that movie we watched? It was the Spain movie. Fuck, 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 fuck. Uh, got. It was uh, t- t- terrified. It reminds me of the boy oh, in Terrified, terrified who yeah. sits at the table and he's not moving. Reminds me of that shit. Um, she's having a drink with, or excuse me, uh, she feeds her dog, promising that she will be she will be back. She's having a drink with the women. They all cheers before taking a sip. Heidi asking the two uh, what they do. Sunny is a self help guru. Megan simply cl- uh, claims that she reads. That's like. Like read books, like <laughs> Heidi doesn't understand. Lacey chiming in that she's a great palm reader. Sunny's sharing that she's she sees things extremely deeply. Heidi claims uh, that she's never gotten her palm read before, thinking it to be some sort of scam. Megan agreeing that those neon sign sh- uh, shops definitely are. I think she says like neon neon sign gypsies or something like that. Lacey instructs Heidi to give uh, Megan her hand. Sunny giving giving a look to, of, of concern. This was interesting where like Sunny was just like, yeah, I think we're pushing too hard. Like, like she just met us. Like, let's not do this. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Megan takes her hand, starting her palm reading to, uh, that, uh, that the hand and brain are one, a quarter of, of the brain being devoted to the hand, asking for, uh, for her, asking her if she knew that she didn't. Megan continues educating about the lines being formed at a, at a subatomic and cellular level that being the lines of her life she asked for heidi's right hand sunny's still giving lacy concerning looks as making continues that uh, that the right hand is the hand of the future heidi wondering if that is also the lifeline but it is the line of fate that being the only one to concern megan claiming that the length of her life is inconsequential it being what she does uh, it being what she does with her time that matters. Heidi mockingly asks what her destiny is, Lacey interrupting that it reads her fate, not destiny. Heidi wonders what the difference is. Megan shares that you can premeditate the outcome with destiny, but fate leaves no choice. It being pre- predetermined by forces other than themselves. Heidi officially feeling uncomfortable, also Freddie, not wanting to know. <laughs> <laughs> Megan continues that she needs to make peace with her subconscious. Uh, her subconscious desires. Sorry, I had to swallow in that moment. Heidi doesn't <laughs> understand what desire, uh, what desires. Megan, uh, claiming that to be the wicked thoughts burning inside her head that make, that make, uh, makes her aroused. Continuing th- th- that the darkness in her soul is the only reason she exists. Heidi comments that she will make peace with that later, excusing herself to go back upstairs. <laughs> Lacey gets up, apologizing for Megan's behavior. Sunny blaming it on her being drunk. Lacey whispers that she's embarrassed and that, uh, this is not what she had planned. Heidi tells her that, sh- uh, it is fine as she wishes her a good night. Lacey closes the door behind her, Sunny mocking Megan about having another drink. Megan laughs, thinking it went well. <laughs> 
Lacey annoyed by her being so intense with the with her doing the readings. It would have been funny if Sonny would be like, I fucking told y'all. Like this shit was way too fast. Like y'all need to slow it down. Damn. She's she lives here. Like, well, why are we rushing? Like <laughs> very eager. Uh, in the hallway, an apparition of Margaret walks into Heidi's um, apartment. Heidi is trying to sleep with the TV on, but she wakes up coughing. She gets up, putting her glasses on before turning off the TV. She grabs a bottle of water out of the fridge, chugging it, hearing her dog outside barking in the hall. He's scratching the door to number five. She do- she goes to get she goes to get him, taking him back to their place. The door uh, the door to five creaks open. Heidi looking back at the red glow inside the room. She cautiously approaches it immediately bathed in red neon as she enters inside the room. She continues moving inside the door shutting behind her. Inside, a red neon cross hums on the wall. She holds her hands up to it, a creature growling behind her she doesn't notice, continuing her trance as she holds her hands up to it. Quick cut to a fiery hell, the creature moving toward her. She slowly lowers her hands. I fucking love this scene. Not gonna lie to y'all. I love this scene. I I think this scene is so great. So... One thing that I really like about this scene is that the whole neon cross symbolism aspect for me speaks volumes because one, the cross is red to simulate, yeah. in my opinion, to simulate burning, that you're burning the cross. And oh, okay. as, as for me, I'm thinking that as another blasphemous act on Christianity or God. And it, 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 I find that to be so fascinating that she's worshiping this cross in such a way that she's not even aware of it. It's to me, I, that, I just, I absolutely love this scene. Yeah, that makes more sense. That little detail makes a lot more sense to me because she was, she was perceiving it as to be like a fire almost, right? She was putting right, yeah. her hands up and getting warm from it. So that actually helps me understand that moment a lot more. Yeah. yeah, I have to agree with that because they have like, you know, you can see the steam or humidity off the ground when it's very right. hot out. It has that effect on yeah. the screen. And I was like, that's kind of cool. I really like that. And I love like the shot itself looks really gorgeous to look at, even though it's yeah. very haunting. I agree. Um, I, I guess- had a tweet, I think, of this photo um, or, or of, of an image of this, a screen cap of yeah. this. And uh, it, it was one of those tweets that went viral because it was like with a whole bunch of things. I was just like more, I think I said more films with uh, strange worships and it was like this with Black Clothes Daughter, um, Bliss, and I think it was The Devil's Candy was the mm. last one that I had. But yeah, fucking shout out. <laughs> I, I feel like the thing I didn't like what happens next is that they didn't really savor the moment. They just move on very quickly into like a new imagery and it just jumps into something else i'm just like oh they should have just stayed there and just called that for that night mm-hmm. i feel like they just added too much afterwards but we'll talk about that no that's fair um i feel like that's what this movie just does though yeah i feel like there's no like that, sense that, of like um there's just a, it's a tension. sense of urgency though right that's it's the like, thing like the movie like it, it's an hour 40 it's not that short no yeah it moves definitely quick through these scenes where i'm just like exactly. you should spend a little bit more time i think i had t- um problems with its pacing maybe because I do oh, like right. a lot of stuff that's in this movie. It just feels very rushed. You you like the imagery in this movie. Yeah, yeah. You, there's, there's a but lot you don't stuff. like the well, pacing of how they show yeah. the imagery. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. I get you. I get you. I'm following. I got you. We're linked. We're linked. Uh, the 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 door opens back up as on its own. Heidi hip, um, hypnotically moves out of the room. A woman whispers, quote, sister, fill the earth. Taste of the air. Do you hear? 
The sound of the cloud and the scent of the wind all becoming one. The whores of the deceivers are gathering around us. End quote. And honestly, I'm not gonna lie, y'all. I mean, this shit can definitely be in a fucking song. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this, the, all of this is just definitely lyrical of how it's written. Yeah. Margaret, totally. uh, Margaret appears in the hall, con- continuing to speak with Heidi, telling her that she's, she's the blade by which they bleed the daughters of Salem. She demands for Heidi to bleed them, them a king, repeating it with her hands stretched out to Heidi. She stretches both her hands back out to Margaret. I love the touch of the sigil now on like Heidi's head and shit. Like it's just like it was like she was it it reminds me of Ash Wednesday and it was like she was yeah. blessed. <laughs> so intriguing. Imagery of makeshift graves, one in the middle with a person burnt to death burnt to death on it and obviously that's supposed to be Margaret. Margaret shouting for her to bleed them a king. Heidi jolts awake in bed before lying back down. A torture device squeaks, swinging in the darkness. Wednesday. Heidi is is walking on a bridge in a park with her dog. Church bells chime as she moves through the graveyard and heads inside the gothic structure. She has a seat on on the pews. Pew, pew. Locking around the room. (laughs) A priest comes out, kneeling before the statue. She turns around. She greets him. He goes up to to her, asking why she's in there. It's like hella rude how he asks. He's like, why are you here? (laughs) Yeah, I thought the same thing. What are you doing in here? I'm like, damn. (laughs) She doesn't know, Sharon, that she was just walking by with her dog and decides to come inside, asking if that's okay or if they're closed. She's like, is that okay? Are you guys closed or something? He's like, no, we're never closed for Jesus. Um, Asking if the the priest mentions that they're never closed because it's always open and ready to listen. Um, He sits next to her. She comments that she needed to sit sit and think. He admits that this is a nice place to just come and sit. And uh, she agrees as her as her head bows. He touches her shoulder, commenting that she's very sad. She's a very sad girl. Then starts rubbing her back. Heidi's uncomfortable and is about to leave before he grabs her and forces her to stay seated. He grabs her by her coat, sternly commenting about the war in heaven and that God does not spare angels when they sin, but sends them to hell. And quick trigger warning, everybody: sexual assault. He unzips his pants forcing her head down, calling her out of her name, and that he's the only one who can save her. He continues spouting all this frantic religious shit while he orgasms, spitting out blackened goo with an upside-down cross now painted over his head. Heidi wakes up, the priest sharing that she fell asleep. She runs out of the church. Whoa. Yeah, this caught me off guard. Big time. Um, also very interesting too that caught me off guard because he forces her down at first but then she just continues on her own right so I was very confused I'm like what is happening because your dick would have been big no dude (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah I also picture this as her accepting her fate Um, where for her the whole the whole concept of this is for her to be impregnated. And it's like, to me, after we get the whole concept, or not the concept, but after we hear Margaret say, bring us a king, feed us a king, um, we have these moments of where they're technically, and it's fucked up to say this, but it's it's technically foreplay what's happening. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we see things gradually getting more and more and more, uh, I guess, 
detailed with how her sexual acts are presented in front of her when there's someone she actually wants to be consensually sexual with, which is Salvador. Um, but she's has to bring the spawn of Satan into the world. So it's all of these very heinous and disgusting acts that are happening to her in order for her to be impregnated. So yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting, but like I picture this as being a metaphor for foreplay. Heidi smokes a cigarette outside the church, uh, spotting a strange looking man walking down the, the pathway with a goat. He whispers that, that they've been waiting for her before disappearing. She takes another drag. The man reappearing and walking past her, um, cut to Francis grabbing the book. And now this for sure was just a jump scare for jump scare sake. Like this 100% did not need to be here. Uh, cut to Francis grabbing a book off, off his shelf called The End of the American Witch. The cover of this fucking is so chilling to me. Like she's like hanging on the branch and I'm just like, wow, <sighs> who would print that as a children's book? He flips <laughs> through finding the journal passage from Jonathan Hawthorne, quote, be in this day of the 27th day of September, 1960, 1996, Margaret Morgan, end quote. Cut to Margaret being transported in the, in the locking torture chamber to a pit of fire. Jonathan sentencing her to death for the crimes of witchcraft and accepting the devil. Her coven screams as she is about to meet her fate. Margaret's uh, spitting at Jonathan, cackling as she's placed on the seat of spikes. They all, and also fascinating because it's like a reverse crucifixion. So also super fascinating to me. Um, they chain her up to the chair, forcing the spikes to impel her skin. Margaret sits there, bleeding and crying as she looks over at her screaming sisters, burning to death around her. She patiently waits for their screams to die out as she, um, as she awaits for her face to be shielded with a brass mask. Her laughter echoed before, before drowned in the fiery abyss. Back to Francis calling for his wife. Alicia is taking a bath. Um, he asks for her to play some music for him. He goes up for he goes up to her, um, asking for, uh, her to look at the passage inside the book, sharing that the book has this, the last remaining pages of Hawthorne's diary, referring to the witches as the Lords of Salem, and that Heidi says that the music she received came came to her from the Lords. Alicia starts playing the, the tune that was on the record. Uh, Francis playing the playing the record. Excuse me, Francis playing the recording, asking her if it's the same. Alicia uh, begins playing it again, commenting that it's exactly the same. He thinks it to be odd, but she doesn't think so, assuming that someone has probably, um, ha- has the same book and copied the name and the music. He asks for her to play it again. She does. Meanwhile, Heidi heads up to the studio late in the middle, middle of the show. She's sluggish as she sits down to take a message from our sponsors. And we're back. Because uh, she is not taking a message from our sponsors. Instead, she wondered what she missed, and everybody's just like, "Fucking everything, Heidi!" Like <laughs> we're literally ending the show in five minutes, and you just got here. <laughs> she can't. She can't like catch a break. This this poor lady. It's like, a rough week. It's 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 a rough three days. <laughs> it's a rough three days for her. Oh man, Jackson! I do like the timeline though, because yeah. that to me explains the sense of urgency that we're feeling with these edits. Because as as us, we're feeling like, oh yeah, like there's so, so much more movie left for us, right? Yeah. But totally. with the fact that like this is only happening in like a span of five or six days, 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. So with all of that being in my mind, like it, it, there is some sense of urgency actually here in the background. Yeah, there's a lot of like, uh, yeah, a lot of scenes that happen within this one week. There's a lot of stuff that happens in her life where it's just like, damn, she went through a lot in a short period of time. Yeah, I do like the fact that most of it happens in her sleep, and That's it true. feels like it's real. But I really like that. Um. Jackson shares the news about the Lords coming to Salem for one night only. And they all have they all have the tickets, commenting that the show is free. And it's like a stack of tickets that they have. And he's like, and the show is free, and you can get them here. Um, W-I-Q-Z. Uh, Sal starts <laughs> playing the record again. Jackson introducing the song as the Lords of Salem. It begins playing out to Heidi becoming more and more sweaty as she zones out. Flashes of the witch's ritual. Um, the way they have her sweaty is so interesting to me because it looks like it's like Sherry Moon Zombie has never sweated a day in her life or something. The way that they like <laughs> perspirate like beads of sweat on top of her forehead. I'm also super curious on why they keep playing this song because like if it was a like a good song, like sure I get it, but like everyone's like, "Damn, this thing sucks." But here <laughs> we are playing trash. it for the. I guess yeah, it was a smash it for, the for them. I don't know. Third day in a row. <laughs> here you go, everybody. Cheers. <laughs> she begins coughing and gagging before running out of the room. She follow uh, Sal follows her as Jackson stays behind, upset, slamming his fist on the table. Why are you mad, bro? <laughs> what yeah. you mad about? Like, why? Why are you so I upset? I thought that? he was in on it. I thought he was in on it. Honestly, I was like, "Dude, really? He's he? No, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of kidding." But I was like, "He keeps playing the music. Where would he get all these tickets from?" And now he's upset that she didn't stay to listen to the music. I'm like, "Is something happening here?" <laughs> he's like, "God damn it! <laughs> yeah, almost girl. got her." <laughs> One for you meddling kids. Heidi is in the bathroom sobbing in the stall. Sal knocks on the door wanting to console her, but the door is locked. She continues sobbing on the floor. Cuts to Heidi back in her apartment, uh, fidgeting with the skull... Uh, with a skull wind-up toy, rats releasing from apartment five. The toy stops. She stares at it as the rats infest the halls. Thursday. Francis meets with his friend AJ Kennedy to speak with him about his book. AJ wonders if this, uh, if this research for... If this is research for a new book, Francis suggests that it could be, but he's just trying to track something something uh, down. Mentioning that he uh, that a couple of days ago, um, he when he was promoting his book at WIQZ, he heard a, a piece of music by the Lords of Salem. Thinking uh, what it's. Uh, Thinking that it seemed a little odd, doing some research and finding it in his book. AJ guesses the diary of John Hawthorne. Francis uh, wonders if uh, if he has a complete diary. He doesn't, but he read it in depth, sharing that Hawthorne was obsessed with uh, Margaret Morgan and her, her coven of six, dubbing them as the Lords of Salem. Francis wonders why he was so obsessed with them, AJ scoffs, that he thought they were hiding out in the woods around Salem, making the devil's music to possess... Um, to possess the the women, excuse me, to possess the Salem, the women of Salem, Francis gathered with Hawthorne, eventually killed them. Um, um, wondering if there was anything else. AJ mentions the curse of Margaret Morgan. Francis doesn't understand. AJ laughs, continuing that the final sections of the diary is rambling nonsense. Apparently, during the execution, Margaret put a curse on the women of Salem. Quote: "Forever deaths of the daughters' daughters." End quote. How do you think of shit like that? Like the daughters' daughters. 
Yeah. Like, just uh, just that is so fucking cool to me. The connection of, like, the legacy of your of ancestors. Women. Yeah. And, then, and, uh, and, and as you see, like, the men don't matter in this story. No. Which is why, like, I feel like uh, Sal and Jackson were just written off so very fast, like, toward the end. Yeah, with Jackson, Jack, Jackson's the, uh, the guest, right, who's doing all the discoveries. No, and, no, that's Francis. Oh, sorry, Francis. Francis' yeah. character reminds me of the character from Mama, the guy who was like doing all the discoveries and looking into the situation, trying to solve mm. the mystery. Yeah, the and doctor. served the same fate at the end, where it's like, what was your entire mission in this movie? <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, to yeah, your exposition <laughs> for us, the viewer, to learn more about what's really going on. And that's like, the, he's a plot point. He's a plot yeah. point for the viewer to understand the history or the connection between everything, because otherwise if we didn't have that character, we would have not gotten the story of why everything is happening and why she's connected to the story itself too, which I felt was a little too hard driven because I don't know. It just felt weird. Mm-hmm. I feel like you make a really good point, Prince, where like it really focuses on the women yeah. in the story yeah. and like um, the, the characters that are men, they're irrelevant. They're not going to come and like save the day or like, right. you know, be the driving force uh, against a woman. It's uh, it's really emphasizing on the power dynamics between women themselves. Right. Agree. Yeah. The men are just exposition. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And that's all. That's all they're needed for. Yeah. And I, I really, I, you know, now that I'm even thinking about it, I actually do like the kind of thrown in love story with her and Sal because of the fact that like this is a woman's story this like has nothing to do with fucking sal like fuck you, it, sal. the relationship is not the priority and it, exactly. just, it might be trying to show that that it's just like yeah it's there but it's like whatever i'm dealing with all this other shit go yeah. away yeah exactly but i i don't know the ending makes me wonder though because uh, i don't oh, we'll, know it we'll can be seen in a whole bunch of different ways yeah we'll yeah we'll, we'll definitely talk about that because i had that I, the ending is so fucking Bananas. Calling Hawthorne's uh, bloodline the vessel that the devil's child would inherit the earth. He laughs, but Francis stares at him in shock. Cut to Heidi at, Sal- at Sal's place. She shares that she she was going to lose lose it at her place. Um, he gives her some some tea as they continue watching an old an old film. She continues looking at her cup, saying what as he clicks his tongue. He un- he doesn't understand. She mentions that he always makes that sound when something is on his mind. She claims that she uh, that she's clean, thinking. Thinking that's uh, what is on his mind, he brings up her behavior at the station, calling it freaky. She places the tea down that he doesn't uh, know the half of it, thinking the Lord's uh, record is fucking with her. About to share what what it does to her, but she starts coughing up blood. Sal calls for an ambulance. When Heidi looks up up at him, three no-face surgeons are standing next to him. She tries to warn him, but the figure touches him, his eyes fading to white as he hits the floor. They slowly approach her. Heidi screams as they grab her, holding her down on the on a medical table. And so fucking amazing to have the TV dialogue actually crank up louder to kind of be the driving force of this scene where there's a line in there that stuck out to me the most where it's quote uh eyes burning with the sight of the tormented end quote i'm like 
this fucking movie is just metal as shit. Like, yeah, it really <laughs> is. Uh, they cut to her. They they cut into her stomach, pulling out a string of of a screaming fetus. She jolts awake, sobbing as she tries to gain her composure. She takes some pills um, from her medicine cabinet, scarfing the whole bottle down. Goddamn. Um, she begins to cry as she rocks back and forth, the painting in her bathroom pouring out blood as someone whispers her name. Like she literally is just like, there's no relaxation at all for her in this moment. It's just like, it's yeah. pound for pound, constant, constantly just revving up more and more. Um, at, at night, Heidi, uh, walks up to the red door with, oh, wait, hold on. No, no, no. At, at night, Heidi walks up to a red door with skulls on it, banging on the door, handing someone a wad of cash in exchange of drugs. Friday. Back at her apartment, she smokes some drugs while, while practicing her, her French. <clears throat> That's what it was. She was smoking, she was, uh, smoking crack, I think it was. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, someone knocks on her door, but she's high as a fucking kite and lies down instead. They continue knocking. She turns the music off, stumbling as she checks to see who's there. Lacey and her sisters are standing outside with scones and tea. She opens the door, greeting the women, Lacey thinking that she needed company. You know what I don't like about the depiction of drug addicts in film? Why they always got to have like a scar or some shit when they start like, or a wound of some kind when they start doing drugs. Like, Oh, she yeah. fucking takes one hit of this fucking <laughs> crack pipe and all she of a sudden a she already forehead. has a fucking sore on her forehead. <laughs> like, I, I mean, think logistically they probably do that to show like, damn, look how shitty this person looks after doing drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Oh no. Uh, Heidi accepts it. Sunny comments that she doesn't look so good while Lacey offers her uh, calming tea. Megan excitedly mention mentioning her scones as they follow her. Meanwhile, Frances is looking in up information on Heidi. Her real name, Adelaide is, uh, Elizabeth Hawthorne. He looks up her family tree, which how the fuck did you not just put two and two together like right there? Like, <laughs> like oh, what made you think like you needed a family tree in this moment? Scrolling down the page until he finds Jonathan Hawthorne's name and he's like absolutely shook. He's like, motherfucker. <laughs> like, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> like okay dude <laughs> he says oh man and then gasps and puts his hand over his mouth like <gasps> yeah it was such like a sixth sense moment it was so fucking lame uh, Heidi lies down on her bed zoning out Lacey soothing and encouraging her Francis calls her um, but she's out cold Megan answers the phone he asks for Heidi but she um, she tells him that she, uh, he has the wrong number asking for him to not call back adding that it's rude for for him to call at such a late hour before hanging up on him. Lacey asks who uh, who that was before commanding Sonny to grab a chair. They are they are all standing in the um, they are all standing in the hall uh, with Heidi sitting in the wheelchair, her dog barking and trying to get get to her from the bathroom. They, uh, I am happy that they did not kill the dog. Me too. Me too. I was it's really. It's gotten to the point where I see like uh, our protagonists have a cute puppers and i'm like please don't yeah. just don't i think i think that's like something that sherry moon zombie and rob zombie even are like super against in in film um, God, i get it here because i i think she's vegan um like a huge vegan activist i heard um got it although she did say some shit like fairly recently where she like agreed with some anti-vax stuff 
that a oh. lot of people got upset about. So I was like, yeah, I ain't touching Ooh. that with a 10-foot pole. Uh, they slowly trekked down the apartment fi- uh, down to apartment five. Excuse me. As Lacey prays for their father to give them uh, the venom, um, f- uh, filling them with his essence. Once again, another really cool line. Like, fill us with your venom. Like, what the fuck? Who mm-hmm. thinks of this? Like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Lyrical, like you said earlier. Right. It's extremely lyrical. They all continue their ritualistic chant of... of on blaspheming God, um, and they they're pretty much just repeating the chant from the six coven or whatever they call themselves. They all um, wanting to have Heidi break free and have the the devil entice her. They all raise their hands as they as they compliment Satan. Lacey draws the sigil on the floor, the door opening up to them. They lift Heidi up up from the chair. She stands and slowly walks into the beautiful gothic room. Her face now painted white with the sigil on her forehead. White, uh, walking up to the stairs toward a creature that is at the top of the stairs, stretching its arms out. The bell tolls. The creature shrieks as its innards um, are now in her hands. Shaking and flopping around, she rebukes them to the ground. Now, this is also interesting because once again, I find this as a, another innuendo for sex and foreplay. So, because they look like very stretchy penises. I don't know why I held them up like that. And then I don't know why yeah. I even mentioned it because like they can't see me. But now you know, I held my hands up in jack and motions. Um, the door opens back up. The three women kneeled outside the door. Heidi comes out. They grace her with a smile, tucking her into the- Sometimes I forget that we are like, no one can see us. <laughs> tucking her into bed, leaving out. The short fuck of a creature stands by her bedside Saturday. Francis is about to step out to check on his, on the new exhibit at the museum. Alicia joking that she was uh, joking about what are they going to do when he retires. He jokes that they'll mostly just likely sell it and build a Starbucks before kissing her goodbye. It's crazy how Starbucks just like rules the world still. Like, oh, without a doubt, it's weird. I don't think that'll. I don't think that'll stop for decades. I agree. Like they just they they cracked the code. Like they yeah. crack the cafe code and it's just like the McDonald's <laughs> of uh, coffee. Yeah, seriously. Sure. Or the subway of coffee. Cause there's more Subway's. subways in the world than there is McDonald's. Did you know that? I didn't know that. What the hell? I didn't, but I Fun think they're going. That ass. <laughs> I think they're going. I think they're going to be get going on soon. Yeah. I think McDonald's going to take that. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. I hope so. I mean, David with his 8,000 points of McDonald points. Thousands. <laughs> that's funny. More like 80,000. <laughs> You're like, that's you cute. Ridiculous. Prince, you said 8,000? Oh my God. You're <laughs> Baby numbers. And, and you refuse to spend them. Uh, you, McDonald's you, actually has been sending me emails. They're like, your points are going to expire. Like, you like, have them for too long. You like, test me. Like, <laughs> I'll get, I'll get more. Back. Yeah, <laughs> I'll make it to a hundred thousand by the time you expire them. <laughs> Sal rides down to the docks. Heidi is up, be- uh, beating with sweat as she takes drags from her cigarette. He calls her as he stands at the edge of the dock. I thought he was totally just like gonna end it here. <laughs> oh wow, uh, I did. I generally was just like, like oh shit, like he- I thought he was gonna gaslight her. Like I thought he was gonna be like, I'm gonna fucking jump if you don't like. Oh my god! Tell you oh, love wow. me or something? I don't know. Like this, because this scene came out of left field for me. I was yeah. like, what, yeah. like, "What's happening? Like, why is there a phone call? Why is he out there? There's no reason. Why is he at the docks taking phone calls? <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you doing?" She weakly answers as he asks uh, to see if everything as 
Oh, excuse me. He asked to see if everything was all, all right. She claims that she's fine. He asked her um, if she wanted to hang out before the show and possibly talk about things. She denies him, accusing that she's not feeling very hungry anymore. He asks um, if they if they can go to the studio together. She's she claims that she can get there on her own. About to tell him bye, but he he doesn't. But he doesn't want her to hang up the phone just yet, sharing that he's there for her whenever she needs him. She already knows. Then telling him bye one last time. Lacey is on the, is in Lacey in the corner of Heidi's room in Heidi's torn apartment. Um, Heidi is about to cry. Lacey mentions that she loves him. She fights back tears. Cut to Francis going to Heidi's apartment. Lacey sweeping the leaves out 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 front. He asks her if Heidi lives there. She's uh she refers to her real name, sharing that the, that he looks familiar. He he mentions that he works part time at the Wax Museum and that she possibly saw him walking by during his lunch hour. She knows the place. He introduces himself. She asks um, if she's if he's a friend or foe. He doesn't consider himself either, just a mild acquaintance. Asking who she is. Um, she introduces herself, commenting that she looks after Heidi. He asks if he could if he could see her. She allows him to. Heidi is passed out on the floor in her kitchen with her with her fridge wide open. Lacey mentioning that she's uh, stepped out for a moment, but they can wait in, wait in the in her apartment, thinking that it won't be long. He shares that he can come back later, but she insists, offering him tea. He goes inside. Sitting at the table, Megan giving him flirtatious looks from another side of the table. Sunny sta- um, startling him as he, she rubs his her hand on his back. Sitting at the table, asking if he's married. He shares that he's been married for twenty six years. Sunny flirtatiously asks, "Uh, happily married?" <laughs> okay, Sunny, I'll see you, girl. He chuckles for the, that for the most part. She asks if she's local. That would have made me so fucking uncomfortable. Like real, as soon yeah. as soon as all of this would have went down, I'm like, okay, I gotta go. Like. Yeah, this is real. this is a place I cannot be in. Like that, you're making me extremely uncomfortable. You're disrespecting my wife. You're disrespecting my marriage. Fuck you. I'm out of here. Like I'm I'm done. Dunzino. I'm out of here. Maybe he wasn't happily married. I don't know. He doesn't like her cooking, so <laughs> <laughs> he shares that she isn't like him. Um, uh, and she's from Venezuela. Megan buds in, asking if he has any children. He shares that they got they never got around to it. She claims to understand calling children a waste in most to our total loss. <laughs> wow. Not mine. <laughs> Not offering <laughs> substance for them, but a rare occasion a special child appears. Sonny moans to uh to the sound of that. He comments that he's never thought about it. He never thought about it. Um he he jokes that he didn't like the idea of changing diapers. Lacey comes into the room telling him not to mind uh, Megan and that she lives in her own bubble. She, why is she just like always throwing shade at Megan? Like Megan looked like she was ready to beat her ass. She's like, I'm getting tired of this shit. Like I'm the leader now. Fuck you. I'm the one who reads palms. Like, <laughs> she asked him uh, what was so important for him to rush there to see Heidi. He shares about uh, uh, he shares about the record and she that she played on her show the other night. She asked him uh, what record may that be. He answers that it is from a band called The Lords. Sonny rubs his rubs his arm, telling telling him not to take this the wrong way. Asking if he's a little too old for uh, for shit like that. <laughs> He laughs, admitting that he is, sharing that he was a guest on the show. Lacey asks for him to get some sugar, or excuse me, Lacey asks for Sonny to get some sugar. Francis, still not realizing that he's actually in danger, continuing to just share some information, uh, wanting to share information to Heidi. She continues that he's uh, str- 
She continues that he strikes her as a man that would mind his own business. He laughs, almost cackles, not understanding. She gets very serious, asking him why is he laughing because she's not, wondering if something is suddenly funny. The fucking <laughs> tension in this room when this hits. Yeah. This yeah. works phenomenal. really well. This works phenomenal. I, so good. I wasn't feeling the tension here. It felt the deliveries really? felt very off to me. Yeah. It felt I very forced. I thought she fucking nailed it. I yeah. thought Lacey nailed that in, in this moment. I think this scene is like the scene I liked the most out of the entire movie, to be honest. Interesting. I felt the tension. Wow. I was like, she literally switched moods to like, yeah, we're all laughing and flirtatious to like, did I say something that's funny? Yeah. I didn't say anything. That, yeah, that's, I think the like, sudden damn. shift is what caught me off caught guard. Out, right? Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. It caught me off guard in a good way for me, at least, where it's like, okay, yeah. cool. They're like done having fun. This is right. all going down south. It's like a moment where you're having a, a you you see something where like someone's having a friendly conversation with someone or whatever, um, in in in, in film, and like they just like take the knife and like jam it in their leg or right. something, and just like whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> like that's what this of kind of felt like. Everyone's yes. like, oh, am, am yes. I funny looking? Do I amuse you? Like it's yeah. like damn, it's like the tension is there, right? Not as good as Goodfellas, though. <laughs> uh, he, he looks over at Megan, commenting that he he will come back. She thinks that she, uh, well, okay. Another reason why I like this this scene really quick is because these women are showing their femininity and masculinity at the exact same time yeah. toward this man who is alone a, in this room with three women. And that's a good input. <laughs> they are flirtatious and being very feminine with their flirtatious acts and things like that. And then it's a subtle shift of just pure... Um, kind of like a masculine kind of uh, vibrato that she feeds into him in that moment. It's just like, I'm the fucking big bad wolf and you are a pig in my house. <laughs> you <laughs> like, know what? I, w- I wonder if like um, one of the sisters earlier like mentioning like, oh, you know, how happy Illy married Artie. Like, that could be seen as trying to s- swap the gender roles there. Uh, maybe. As well. Yeah. Definitely, maybe. Uh, he looks over at Megan, commenting that he will come back. She thinks that uh, she thinks that he came there to get inside Heidi's head, fucking her brain. And she even uses it quite in a literal sense as well, asking if that's his reason for coming there. That's enough for him. He's about to leave, but Sonny smacks him in, in smacks him in the head with a pan. He hits the floor. Lacey commenting that being good. Sonny agreeing that it felt good. Meanwhile, Heidi crawls on the floor and lies down, and assumingly that she can hear this happening underneath her. Um, Francis wakes up uh, from his blow, the three women standing over him. Lacey commenting about his book. Sonny mocks the book and John Hawthorne. Megan knowing his reason of being there to share these stories with Heidi. Lacey calls to Sonny. She sighs, picking up the pan and she begins bashing him yet again. Heidi closing her ears and flinching at every blow. The three women stand over his bloody and bludgeoned body, calling him a waste and a pity. Uh, Megan hilariously asks if they would like to make a fresh pot of tea. Good for her. <laughs> Cut to the hallway, a creature growling as lights sway back and forth. Sal, Sal pulls up the, to Heidi's place, uh, walking into her apartment, the three women sitting in the stairs greeting him. And Sal upgraded. My dude had a car this time. Good for him. Good for him. When, he, when you see the car, you're just like, who is that? Oh, it's Sal. Wait a second. Would you just get that? Good for you, buddy. He greets them. Um, 
<laughs> I I do like the this scene of where he comes inside though, and they're all just sitting on the stairs staring at him. Yeah, I fucking love super it. creepy. I fucking love that scene so much. He greets them and is about to walk past them. Megan's stopping him. He mentions that he's he's going to get Heidi. She mentions that he looks nervous, asking if he is. He claims that he isn't and is and is about to co- continue up to the stairs, but Sonny stops him this time, asking for him to sit with them and they need to talk. He once again shares that he... He once again shares that they have not, have something going on tonight. Lacey telling him to not allow them to get in his way and to take care of Heidi and that she means the world to them. He continues upstairs knocking on Heidi's door. She's pa- she's passed it on the couch with her shorts slightly pulled down and a face and a faceless nun watching over her. Well, Sal continues banging on the door but no answer. Lacey comes up behind him. And I love actually this whole moment where she comes up behind him because she kind of blends into the environment like her dress matches the wallpaper that's true yeah you see that Freddie? oh yeah it's kind of fucking cool right i i really i really like how she just blends in into her environment and it it makes me think that like okay we're completely like the plan is working we're completely in the witch's den at this point Heidi gets up, pulling her pants up or answering the door, asking him uh, why he's there, reminding him that she told him not to come there. She hugs him, sobbing into his shoulder. Lacey startling them, telling her that it is okay and that she can tell tell him to wait out, wait for her outside. She relays the message back to him even though he heard. <laughs> he whispers, asking her what's going on. She pleads for him to wait outside, slam the door in his face. Lacey extending her hand to, uh, for him to follow her. Quick cut to, to a theater with seats that are slightly filled with, by women. Meanwhile, Jackson is outside the studio in an alleyway waiting for Sal and Heidi. Um, they walk into the into the alley. He comments that she looks like death. Sal tells him to, to chill and that they will talk about it later. Jackson wants to know what's going on. Sal assures him that they will get get through this tonight. And tomorrow they will start dealing with uh, start dealing with this. Heidi walks away from uh, from both of them, telling them bye as she slams the door shut. As she goes inside. And once again, at this point in time, no more men. We got one. We get Gorgon. He comes back. But like, that's it. Like, this is this whole last sequence here is just all about the women. Yeah. And it's so fascinating. Curtains raise at from uh for the women inside the theater, the room bathed in a bright light. Heidi at the top row, the three women on stage kneel down and share that they are ready to bring their Lord's child into the world. In unison, they pray to Satan and for for him to come to them and that they are ready. Heidi continues watching from the top, the coven appearing behind them, Margaret in the in the middle, welcoming the whores of Salem. Quote unquote. So fascinating. She continues that she can taste the stench of their ancestors rotting from the filth between their legs. She laughs, continuing that the blood of their death shall be the eternity of their resurrection. She calls out to Heidi, calling her the one that they've been waiting for. They've always have been waiting for. The tune of the record plays as they play it live on stage. So it is actually a live show. Good for them. The women <laughs> all get up from the seats, approaching the stage. Heidi starts stopping from, or, excuse me, Heidi starts shedding from her clothes, the other women following her lead. 
She she sways in a trance. Cut to black. Heidi is sitting on her illuminated bed inside the theater. In a in front of a in front of her a trip a a trip to the moon poster. That's what it's called. A trip to the moon. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. The the woman all chant that they honor him through the through their actions and thoughts. And he and um. And each day that they live upon the earth, they wish to grow stronger in wisdom and in their in their love for them. Continuing that he is their father, teacher, muse, lover, and they have taken his mark. A loud screech pierces through, causing Heidi to cover her ears and writhe. And it's like legit piercing. Like, yeah, it, I, I had headphones <laughs> in when I watched it, and I was like, okay, this oh is, damn, like this is. A lot for my little baby years. I, think I, was, I was on speakers, you. so it didn't hit me. Yeah, I was yeah. telling you earlier. It's like there's a lot of sounds in this movie where I'm just like, I don't like this. This it's like nails to a chalkboard. Like, oh and, no! And it's very interesting too because they used the uh, the trip to the moon stuff a lot. So I don't know the significance of it because they do show this like hallway scene when they're talking about like everything that's going down. Mm-hmm. They show another like um like a drapery of an image of like the girl that's on the moon and stuff like that, which is a still from that movie right. as well. So I'm yeah. just like, why? Why choose that? So I don't know if you guys had some any insight on that. Um I the only thing I can think of is mainly because of the fact that like the moon is dark. Because like even if we think about the plot of that of that movie, um, and I'm, I'm thinking mainly of the ending of A Trip to the Moon, um, and I, I looked it up so I can read it back. But the astronomers run back to their capsule while continuing to hit the uh, pursuing sel- selenites, um, and five get inside. The sixth astronaut um, uses a rope to t- to tip the capsule over. Uh, a ledge of the moon and into space. Uh, selenite tries to seize the capsule at the last minute. Astron- uh, astronomer capsule and selenite fall through space and land on the ocean on Earth, where they are where they are rescued by a ship and towed ashore. The final sequence, missing from the prints from the film, depicts a celebratory parade in honor of the traveler's return. So I'm thinking that it's that part. It's an okay. honor of the traveler's return, and it's an honor for Satan to come back. Okay, I could definitely see that. So that's what I'm picturing it as. Good call. Um, which, god damn it, that makes Rob Zombie a, a lot smarter than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> a faceless demon, and I mean, he, he's not to bash on on Zombie. Uh, like he, he definitely is. He understands his craft, yeah. and he understands what he likes, and he puts what he likes in movies. He's his he's own visionary. Like, Right, yeah. yeah. He's like, this looks fucking cool to me. I'm going to add it, and I respect him for that. I respect him yeah, for not trying too. to make movies for the masses, and he just makes them for mm-hmm. himself. Yeah, I respect that. A faceless demon in a Catholic getup walks with a group of naked women wearing black animal heads down the hall. <laughs> totally reminded me of, like, uh, Squid Games. <laughs> uh, a man speaks, quote, without ex- Excuse me. Without exception, death will come to each and every one of us. The devils of the earth will rattle will rattle on our very our very coffins with cloven hooves. The body we pamper will become a city of corruption, a horror unto this earth. End quote. The faceless demon sits around masturbating, Heidi switching spots with the main demon. This is something. This whole sequence. Yeah, very, this whole sequence yeah. is fucking nuts. 
it's intense, but it, it does the job, right? It, it works. It's a whoa impact. Right. It, it works for what he was trying to do. Like, it, he achieved it. <laughs> the man yeah. continues, quote, Our own mothers could not, could not bear to look upon it. But if we were saved, our bodies will rise again, free and glorious when Christ comes, end quote. Heidi gracefully walks through a bathroom, fading into a psychedelic Jesus painting. Then she appears strutting and dancing while sitting on a goat, Gorgon appearing appearing out of fucking nowhere, hugging her from behind and licking her and shit. The sequence continues getting wackier and wackier and wackier and wackier as they as the man continues speaking. Quote If we lose our battle with temptation and choose to ride upon the goat, we know what our agony will be. Forevermore we shall be awash in the burning rivers of the dead. Forevermore the stench of hell and the rotting flesh of the dam will fill our nostrils. Forevermore our ears will sound with the screams of the tormented forevermore, end quote. The sequence turns into an absolute acid trip, ending with Margaret <laughs> laughing and, and, um, and a sign that says, Jesus saves over a pit of fire. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Heidi walks out of the, out of, Walk, excuse me. Heidi walks out, bathed in warm light, with a sigil on her head. The coven sh- um, sitting around each other. Heidi lies in between them as, <clears throat> excuse me, as Margaret chants that this, uh, this is, uh, I don't know what I was trying to say there. Um, she was chanting so she can become the bread and the blood of revelation and revulsion poetic shit uh the woman caresses heidi's body as they all moan and chatter in tongues margaret getting even more wild with uh with a uh with heidi as she starts giving birth screaming in pain as blood spills from her vagina the woman uh wiping into her uh wiping the blood onto her body pulling the sprawling creature out they all hold it and gaze in awe at the creature heidi is unconscious as margaret holds and hugs the creature it's like has spindly legs and it's like wiry feet and they're all twitching and shit. And it's like it, it's crazy. They did a really good job <laughs> only showing it from like a weird angle that you can like abruptly see it because it, you know, you don't have that moment where you're like, oh, that looks kind of weird or whatever. Yeah. Like it's perfectly done in my opinion. I agree. That's true. I agree. Yeah. Cut to black. Lacey, Sonny, and Megan kneel in acceptance, smiling in awe at Heidi, whose eyes are cloud white with a pink veil crown and translucent dress. They continue their gaze and smile as she stands on top of a mountain of naked women, imitating a religious painting. Flashes of of her playing uh, with her dog in the park, a news break during the credits. A reporter reports that, quote, the dead bodies of 13, 32 female members of the Salem Historical Lifer Society were discovered this morning of an, of an apparent mass suicide. The gruesome scene was discovered in the morning, in the early morning hours by Donald Felix, a janitor at the Salem um, Palladium. Donald speaks that he thought there were mannequins um, that, that were left on stage, but as he got closer, he noticed that they were real calling it gruesome and calling 911. The reporter continues, quote, the society's, the society's members were all descendants of the original Salem village, dating back to 19 or 1636. Police remain puzzled and have no motives for the suicides at this time. Mayor Joseph Campbell is scheduled to meet with the victims' families and hold a press conference later today to address these tragic events. In a related story, police still have no leads in the disappearance of Adelaide Hawthorne, better known as Heidi LaRock. She had been missing since attending the Lords of Salem event on the night of the suicides. Police have found no evidence that she had been um, among the victims. Then, credits. 
Now, it's interesting because the police are concerned about Heidi, but they're not concerned about Francis. Once again, leaving the men completely out of the subject matter here. And I actually wish we would have gotten a female guest for this episode because like I – I feel like obviously none of us do justice in talking about this, but that's how I picture this whole film just to be a huge battle cry of feminism and being a badass woman. Like that's what I picture this movie as. And and for me personally, like I, I dig it. Like I really, I really like the fact that they have this concept of how they're showing strength of being a woman in this film. I totally agree with you. And I think they do a good job invoking it because uh, I think most would be able to catch on to that with this film because it's very apparent that like, it's a very female heavy cast. Um, So it's, it's, it portrays itself well that I think um, all moviegoers can probably pick that up. I agree. Yeah. Or I hope, you know, I, I hope people can can pick it up as well. Um, and, and yes, Silent Night, dude does have a red rocket. <laughs> <laughs> but I got some movie facts for us here. Movie, movie facts. facts. <gasps> First film or TV project that Sid Haig was ever cut from in his 51 years in the entertainment industry. Huh. Because I saw the cast list said Sid Haig was in this movie and I could not find him to save the life of me. And oh, wow. That explains why he was not casted in this film. Rest in peace. According to Sid Haig, the actors were only given the parts of the script that featured their own scenes to prevent any leaks. Hmm. Oh, I wonder what impact that had on um, acting decisions. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, all I know is Meg Foster fucking killed it. True. Like, yeah. she, like, embodied that role. <laughs> Meg Foster described working with Rob Zombie as an experience like no other in her career, comparing it to walking through a labyrinth. Whoa. It's quite Damn. a compliment. Yeah, Rob, that's a very interesting choice of words. Yeah. Rob Zombie wrote himself a novelization of the film along with writer Brian Evanson. According to Zombie, the novelization is based on the original screenplay, which differs significantly from the final script that he used in the film. Like I said, he really <laughs> wanted this movie to be in the 70s. Right. Yeah. So I assume this definitely is played in the 70s. Um, this was actually filmed in Salem. That's cool. Good oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Uh, Rob Zombie has hinted at this film being a metaphorical and spiritual prequel to his Halloween films. Interesting. I don't see it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's do a couple more here. The screenplay had a subplot about a film named Frankenstein and the Witch Hunter, a kind of Hammer Films exploitation that uh, the characters of Matthias and his wife attend thanks to free tickets from the radio station. Rob Zombie shot this film within the film with Udu Kier, Camille Keaton, and Clint Howard, but all the scenes related were deleted from the final cut. Huh. Would have kind of been interesting. Huh. I would have been into that. Hey, you, you guys know what Hammer Films are? I don't, I don't know, know what that is. Okay, no worries. So Hammer Films... I had no input. <laughs> are, yeah, no worries. So Hammer Films are super interesting. Um, it, it's like either a group of folks who love them or hate them. Uh, but Hammer Films were kind of like the... Uh, fuck, what's the best way to explain this? C- kind of like the little 
brother of Universal Pictures, where mm. Universal mm. Pictures mm. has the Universal monsters of like Dracula and Wolfman and things like that. Hammer films have those as well, but they kind of do like a different spin on it. For example, like uh, the Brides of Dracula. Um, oh, okay. the I horror see. of Dracula, things like that. Uh, the curse of Frankenstein, stuff like that. Yeah. So like, those are hammer films. Um, and they're, they're intriguing. Uh, I personally don't mind them. I know a lot of people find them extremely cheesy and they are, they're really extremely cheesy, but I actually <laughs> like them. I think they're, I think they're fun. Um, uh, let's, let's get one here. Rob, Rob Zombie described this film as if Ken Russell directed The Shining. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Ken Russell's fucking amazing, but yeah. Uh Goldie Hawn was actually considered for the role of Margaret Morgan. Hmm. That would have been interesting. Yeah. I'm glad he went with Meg Foster though. That's true. Because her she, eyes she are still me. just so creepy to me. <laughs> uh let's let's do one more here. Um this one is going to end it all. Here we go. One of the real life judges of the Salem witch trials was named John Hawthorne, pronounced Hawthorne. Um, his descendants, the famous historical novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne, changed his name to be spelled like it sounds. Cool. Oh, interesting. I wonder huh. why that is. Yeah, that's really interesting. Huh. I want to hear that backstory. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Same. Oh shit! An earlier cut of the film started in nineteen ninety six. Oh, imagine that! I wonder how different fuck? it would have been. Yeah, now I'm intrigued. <laughs> now I'm intrigued. Anyway, let us know what you think about the, the Lords of Salem by WIQZ. Um, but no, <laughs> let us know what you think about the Lords of Salem over on Twitter at Nightlight underscore Pod, and that's Night with a K, or. Let us know over on Discord because we have our own Discord now and you can join and it's in the show notes. So join it. Join it. It's growing and it's fantastic. I feel like we get new people every week and it's super fun to chat and just have a good time. I'm saying that's exciting. It it is exciting. It's very exciting. Um, There's a lot of talk in there of David. David has commented once. <laughs> uh, trust me, I, I love see it. it. I, I, I see know it. you see it. I know you see it. <laughs> I know you're seeing them, and I, I'm, I'm just waiting for the day that David just like submits a whole paragraph, and everyone's like fucking <laughs> shocked. <laughs> but the next film that we are going to be covering next week is a film that Freddie actually just saw recently. Um, but we're going to be covering Suspiria, 1977. Hey. Um, very excited to dive into this one. Me too. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knights. Alongside me, we had Freddy. Always keeping his poopy. Always and forever, also known as Nighty Night. Other in there, we had David. Stay spoopy, everyone. Indeed. Also known as Nighty. <laughs> Our efforts to get the show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to... Uh, to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they were. Okay. <gasps> By on Patreon, you'll access the show ad free and as early as Monday with a post show. If you don't have any books to toss, don't worry. The episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.